sure you all know Sister Sylvia Bay. Uh, but let me just give you a very brief background on her. Sister Sylvia Bay has dedicated herself to the study and practice of the Buddha's teaching since 1982. She holds a BA Honours in Buddhist Studies from the Buddhist and Pali University of Sri Lanka and was a lecturer with her alma mater. She also have, uh, has a Master's in International Public Policy from Johns Hopkins School of Advanced Studies. Since 2001, Sister Sylvia has been a regular speaker on Buddhist doctrines and their practical applications at local and regional Buddhist associations. In 2013, she published first book between the lines Buddha's Guide to a Heavenly River. Uh, let me introduce to you Sister Sylvia. Uh, before that, I would like to invite her to lead us in the opening celebration. Can I invite all of you to put your hands together? Anjali. Anjali means palm. Huh? In case you're wondering, Anjali means palm together. And where you are, take a bow and just repeat three times Namo Tassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Good afternoon everybody. Tonight we're going to, today, this afternoon we're going to do Mangala Sutta. Uh, I, I think this sutta is rather cute because most of us in the Theravada community will be familiar with the sutta. In fact, um, I've been to many centers and in most centers, all centers that I've been to, they all have this sutta as one of the suttas that they will chant as part of the uh, chanting rituals. It's very common. So the question is, why is this sutta so popular with lay people? Hmm? Today, I'm going to cover the following themes. Uh, I'm going to show you Mangala Sutta in the context of the Pali Canon. Then I'm going to explain what is Mangala, what's the meaning of the word Mangala. The conventional perspective, meaning our secular world about and the Buddha perspective, which is very different. Then we will go through the sutta and I'll offer some final thoughts at the end of this, okay? The, there are many translations of the Mangala Sutta out there. Today, I'm going to use the translation done by uh, Bhavana Society. Um, the translation was probably done by Bhante himself, Bhante Henapola Gunaratana of Bhavana Society. Okay. Now, the context of Mangala Sutta. What we have today is called the, the, the collection of the Buddha's teaching is found in what we call the Pali Canon. T, 
83 baskets. So there are three sets of teaching. Okay. One set is called the Vinaya. It's the basket dealing with discipline, i.e. training for the monks. Second basket, most of us who, who study Pali Canon, we are probably familiar with this basket. It is called the Sutta Pitaka, basket of causes, teachings delivered by the Buddha and his leading disciples. Okay, And this Sutta Pitaka has five books, five sets. Not exactly book, because some of them are actually more than one books, but it's actually five sets. And um, the ones that we are discussing today is the fifth one called Kudaka Nikaya, which has 15 books. Of the 15 books in the Kudaka Nikaya, the book one, book one of 15, uh, is called Kudaka Pata. And Kudaka Pata has nine readings. The fifth one is Mangala Sutta. This is the first of 15 books. Fifth book, the fifth book of Kudaka Nikaya, Sutta Nipata, which I covered last week. Ratana Sutta was found in Sutta Nipata. Okay? And in this collection, there is also a Mangala Sutta. And this Mangala Sutta and this Mangala Sutta, they're the same. They're identical. But in Kudaka Pata, it's merely called Mangala Sutta. In Sutani Pata, it's called Maha Mangala Sutta. And it's the same book, okay? It's the same sutta, same discourse. Anyhow, the point I wanted to make is this is one of those rare suttas found in more than one collection, which tells you that it, had, it commands considerable weight in the, uh, in the, in, in, in the canon. It, cannot, it commands com considerable weight, okay? So, give me a sec uh, while I... Okay, so Mangala Sutta. I'm going to explore the meaning of this word. Translated into English, it means blessing, auspicious, good omen. In other words, what is it that we feel makes our life better? So you look at the, the text that I've written, the conventional view of Mangala. It's about gains, about benefits. So if you ask yourself, right, when, when the regular person, when he says, I am blessed, I feel blessed, what does he usually have in mind? And it's usually one of these. Gains and benefits. I have a good wife, I have a good spouse, I have obedient children, I've got parents who look after me, I have a great education, my job is great, my bosses love me, my subordinates love me. You know what I'm saying? There are all these, when you see, why do you feel blessed? They will point, and most of us, most regular people will point to one of these things. The jobs, the earning power, that they have resources, they have good health, they have long life, etc., etc., and all these things. And why is it like that? 
why, it, why is man so fixated about having these things, all these goodies in life? It has to do with the fact that life is really very uncertain. We have ups and downs. We have good times and bad times. We have pleasures and pain. We have, when we experience pleasure, when things are going our way, we say that life is good, we are blessed. When things are not going our way, we say we are experiencing curse. We are, we are being, we are being uh, um, black magic has been imposed on us, inflicted on us. We are experiencing bad luck, so, something like that. So this it is actually because of life uncertainties. And we know that, that there is a part in, men, in most of us that want to improve the odds for ourselves to experience the good part of life and fall off the bad part of life. That's all. It's actually very common, right? I mean, most of us are very worried about things going wrong and we're very happy when things go right. But you know, nah, we are talking about things going wrong and things going right. So our idea of blessings, the conventional man's idea of blessings is actually about the things that happen, the end game, the end results. And I said, Mangala is what yields pleasure, enjoyment, happiness. Make us feel good about ourselves. Satisfies the loba in us. That's the conventional man's perspective of what's blessing. And because conventional man has many wants, many desires, as a result, blessings come in, perception of blessing comes in many forms, okay? That's the conventional man. Now talk about Buddha. How does Buddha look at Mangala? We all know that the Buddha's worldview sits on the Four Noble Truths, right? Dukkha, origin of Dukkha, cessation of Dukkha, a training that helped us to experience cessation of Dukkha, the path that it's for. And Buddha perceives the world in impermanence term, mortality, Dukkha and non-self. Why is this significant? You think about it. If you have, say, a terminal illness, if you have a terminal illness and you know time is running out for you, you tell me, would you still, would you still talk about blessings in the way that you would if you're not sick? your perspective of blessing will be very different. What is, what is another mountain of money for one who is dying? What is all the love that you experience for one who is dying? What is enjoyment? One more taste, one more sound, one more trip. How is that a blessing if you are dying? Buddha... That's how he sees the world. 
Every minute he is dying. Every minute there is the person that, that has connection to him, his disciples, his family, he knew they would all die. He cannot change that aspect of how he sees the world. So impermanence is a natural state of his mind. Mortality is a natural state. Therefore, in his mind, all is dukkha. Everything is dukkha. And yet, and yet he was asked this question, what is Mangala? And he came out with 11 sects. Buddha does not deny that there is blessing. There is Mangala. There is auspiciousness. But his perspective is not the way we see it. Because we have moha, we have delusion, and we have avijja ignorance. He doesn't. He has clarity of the nature of life as is. So his notion of Mangala is like this. That which support wholesome growth, mental peace and well-being, and spiritual awakening. Any condition, his mangala, his notion of mangala is a condition. Our notion of mangala is the end game. We want good life. We want long life. He wants a meaningful life. The conditions that provide for a meaningful life is not the same as just pleasure. So mangala would therefore be conditions for specifically wholesome growth that you can train your mind and you can hit the next level of training and understanding and insight and awakening. Because only then would you really experience unconditioned mental peace and well-being. Buddha's notion of what's mangala does not necessarily lead to loba, greed, craving, and will promote kusala. This is, this is a start point. Subsequently, when we go through the sutta, I will show you. And you must look out for yourself. All these points uh, support wholesome growth, support mental peace and well-being, support spiritual awakening. As you go through the 11 stanzas, you go look for it. Look for these themes, okay? Now the sutta proper, the sutta. The sutta started with this opening remark, which actually means it was Ananda who repeated that sutta. Ewang me suttang, thus have I heard. On one occasion, the sublime wonder Buddha was living near Savati at Jeta's Grove in the park of Anathapindika. For those of you who are not so familiar with Buddhist history, this little opening line is something worth remembering because one day you may go down to India, pay, pay a visit to the four holy sites. If, as much as possible, you should try and make your way to this one also, Sawati because that was where the Buddha spent the longest period of his life as a Buddha in this, in this growth, 
Jitawana in this grove. The last 20 plus years of his life was spent here. Okay, so any suitor that comes with an opening sentence like this, there is a pretty good chance that that suitor was delivered in the second half of his life. Not all, because in the earlier part of his life, also he spent some years there. But there is a pretty good chance that it's, it's the second half of his life. And this Anatta Pindika was literally Buddha's number one lay benefactor. Number one, the guy who gave the Buddha, who offered to the Buddha his second strong, his second uh, monastery. The first monastery, Weluwana, is Rajakaha by a king. This is a lay person, an average man, Bill Gates of ancient India, offering to the Buddha a beautiful monastery among you. He spent a lot of his money this is the first one that has living quarters and bathing areas and segregated areas for monks to practice. It's a beautiful land. So beautiful, the monks remember it in their suttas. Okay? So I myself want to see the original. This must be really magnificent. So in the middle of the night, a certain deity of astounding beauty. All day was a beautiful. This one is astounding. So he lagi more beautiful. Astounding beauty, lighting up the entire Jetawana. Approached the Buddha, paid his respect, stood on one side and addressed the Buddha in verse. Many deities and humans pondered on blessings, pondered on Mangala, desiring their well-being. Tell me the supreme, the Blessing supreme. It's very significant. You see, we regular person, we go to Dewas and ask for blessings. Yes? We go and toast We say, bless me, get a good job. Bless my children, my family, etc., etc. You have this situation where a Dewa came went to the Buddha and said, Sir, we are arguing amongst ourselves of blessing. Could you tell us what is blessing? Isn't this ironical? This is a Dewa whose job in our mind is to grant us blessing. And he said, we all don't know. We argue so we don't know. Then we ask Buddha, Buddha, please explain. So this is a role reversal. It's a conversation between men. Buddha was a man and a Dewa. What this tells you, what this exchange tells you is that an enlightened being is higher than a Dewa. Because an enlightened being has its bountiful blessing. He himself carries blessing. One who is enlightened will know the meaning of the word blessing. Everyone else who has not been enlightened, everyone else can debate, can argue, have views, exchanges, but they don't know for sure. That's what it means. 
So, by this exchange alone, it tells you that you want the supreme blessing, it has to do with spiritual cultivation. Okay? The supreme blessing, spiritual cultivation. Okay, first stanza, first of 11 stanza. First stanza, it says, Buddha said, to associate not with the foolish, to be with the wise, to honor the worthy ones. This is a blessing supreme. Mangalang uttamang. Ultimate, ultimate blessing. So I can provide the answer here. Conditions for growth and happiness sits on the associations we keep. Who do you choose to, to connect with? And associate here, basically spend time with. Who do you want to spend time with? That makes a difference for you. And you think about it. What does it mean by the wise and what does it mean by the foolish? In, in, in the Dhamma, when the Buddha said it like this, he was very specific. And we're not talking about Arya beings here. It's not, not everyone is an Arya. But a wise person is one who will not increase the problems around you. Anyone, anyone who sit around you and cause you to have more loba, dosa, moha, more craving, more agitation, more delusional thinking. Anyone who cause you to have more loba, dosa, moha, the person has elements of foolishness. One who is really wise must be somebody who knows how to reduce the anger, reduce the agitation around you for people around them. So whatever that comes out of their mouth, according to their action, they must increase wholesomeness, goodness, People, feel, people around them must feel lighter, happier, gentler, geared towards decency, not indecency. And if you say, oh, like that, not many, is, not many people left. That's the problem. That is the problem. If you look around you and you have people who, if you get agitated, they urge you to be more agitated. They instigate you on how to go and fight a battle and win the battle. So they are stirring up your anger and agitation. They are not wise. These guys are not wise. They are like you. They are not bad. See, the Buddha doesn't say, associate with Kusala. Don't associate with Akusala. He didn't say that. He said wisdom and foolishness. So he's not judging people on whether they are wise or not. He's just saying that there are some people you associate with will bring up more joy, will bring, up, will bring you up a notch on purity and goodness. Then there are some people you associate with for that duration, you're going to get more angry, you're going to get more agitated, you're going to get more greedy, more frustrated, more worried, more fearful, etc., etc. Now, most of us unfortunately don't have that kind of wisdom. The person may give us a lot of pain, but there is a part in us that say that doesn't first, there's a part in us that doesn't know we should actually 
maintain a, a distance. We still continue to associate because hey, cannot, we must be nice to people. So we continue to associate. And as you associate, then what happens to you? You will experience more agitation, more unhappiness. Every time you go near the fellow, you get, you get worried because you don't know whether it's going to be a good encounter or bad encounter, etc., etc. So you know for yourself. By the way, uh, by the way, all that the Buddha talk about, all 11 parts, uh, all that he talk about, they are within one's control. We can make a choice. None of them say, you have it, that's it, you win. No. Everyone that he mentioned here, they are within our control. You can choose to or you can choose not to. So there is a comma here. You choose. Mangala is your own. You choose correctly, it's your own comma, positive comma. If you choose unwisely, then it is your negative comma, the comma that obstructs and hinders. So remember that, there has the element of choice. You can choose. You can choose to associate, you can choose to associate whomever you wish to, right? So here it is. With the wise, you can learn and improve. You can feel happiness and peace. With the foolish, they will cause you much grief. That's all. And knowing how to differentiate, are you a wise person? Should I do it like this or that? Knowing what to do, that in itself means you have mental requisites, the right mental requisites. You know how to make that judgment. You have that, you have that skill to, to discern means you can tell the difference, can tell wisely. Buddha gave you the clue already. We explained to you, associating who is wise, when you associate with them, you feel more peaceful, you feel happier, you feel that you can grow and learn. Who is foolish? The one who causes you more grief, more pain, more agitation. Your akusala goes up. Ah, they are unwise. Okay? You want to associate with them, you better be wiser than them so you can lead them out of the nonsense. You understand? Word to honor the worthy ones. Here it tells you, you have humility. You have humility. Because one who has humility will stand up and honour another. So to honour the worthy ones is very powerful. This statement, which is not always highlighted, but I'm highlighting it because it's very important. You tell me, when you come across very well-practicing Sangha members, after the encounter, right, how do you feel? Your faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha was shot up by a quantum leap. Can you imagine that kind of impact? So, associating with the wise and they are worthy, this means they are Arya or at least very good practitioner. It means that when you do this, your faith will shoot up. The joy, the conviction and the confidence can you not say this is such a blessing? For those of you who have experienced it before, right here and now you will say yes, indeed Buddha was right. You feel so blessed to be able to come before these practitioners, these wonderful practitioners who show the path and show by the way they practice. So, you look at that line again, just three lines. 
three only set one associations that we keep you you honor the worthy one the worthy one will also be with you so you're honoring them means you can learn from them okay very nice this one my favorite this is very nice actually i have a lot of favorites okay next one to reside in a suitable location to have good past deeds done to set oneself in the right direction again three conditions okay all these are conditions i call it the external conditions which are supportive opportunity for spiritual and secular growth you think about it the fact that we live in a land that allow us freedom of worship you can choose anything you want the state will not intervene don't you think that's a blessing imagine if you have no choice but where you are born the dhamma speaks to you or you learn online oh yeah this is so good the dhamma speaks to you but you cannot choose because there are restrictions or you can born this is the age of dhamma this is the age of gautama dispensation buddha gautama meaning the teaching of the buddha gautama is still available but you are living in a land with no access to teacher or internet or you are uneducated you have no education then how how do you have access to the dhamma you have no access so residing in a suitable location means it opens a world of opportunities for you and for that we have to be grateful imagine buddha pointed this out generally we don't think about this we just assume in fact if we complain anything about houses is our house not big enough but no he said it's where it is that matters not what it is where it is number 1 number 2 to have good past that deeds done so many a times we see this sentence and the mind goes oh past life ah yeah 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 past life has done well so this life i'm quite good no past deeds done is not just past life is everything that had been done from this point before this life this life you think about your own life how did you manage to come to this point where you're sitting right here learning the dhamma at what point had you done right this life you give thanks for that opportunity and those opportunities it is not past lives it is this life you see what i'm saying the friends that you made your chance to you, you at the point when you say should i join this group or should i join that group do i come for this class or do i go for that class at that point it's a set of conditions what prompted you to choose this and not that and then that took you on a a ship a train a bus that came this far what happened that you must have done something good you must have offered something you must have been generous you you must have like aya it's okay let, let me offer this to you and because of that you were asked to join and you were asked to follow and then da 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 da, da that's where here you are 
to have done something. In other words, this line tells you our life is a series of conditional arisings. And because it's a series of conditional arising, again and again and again, you must do good because to do good now provides the condition for blessings. That's what it means. Again and again, you must not forget that you must continue to be kusala, specifically good deeds, actions, because your actions will touch people and touch the devas. So that's the second point. Okay, The third one, to set yourself in the right direction, this is very... Um, it's connected to the previous line, okay? In the sense that you do good, you have a chance to set yourself in the right direction. To have done good, you can do it. If you have never done good in this life, then you better pray very hard that in a different life, you had done enough. But if you are continuing to do, you don't have to worry about what's long gone. You don't have to worry. It will be, you are already setting yourself in the right direction. That's why I say these two are connected. To do good with understanding you are setting yourself in the right direction. And these collectively keeps your mind, envelop your mind in wholesome energy, which is light and joyous. Okay? Even if something happens to you midstream in this life, you have done these it's enough to protect you to arise in a heavenly rebirth, in a good rebirth. This is good enough. And you continue to do. But how beautiful is this line? Because this is really your choice, right? I told you in, in the previous slide that the Buddha's notion of blessing is a choice. People make choices. With wisdom, they make the right choices, which is very good. It gives us hope. If you are stuck with blessings from a different time, let's see, you're, you're born, it's like a born poor, die poor. No, 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 no. Buddha doesn't work like that. Dhamma doesn't work like that. Constantly, you make choices that shape now and the future. Constantly. This is the beautiful line that says it. Because if you have done good deeds in the past, you continue to do good deeds now, you will set yourself in the right direction. It's a constant choice. Okay? Slide two. Three. Great learning and craft, a discipline well-trained in. Whatever utterances is well-spoken. Extrinsic qualities that can be honed and cultivated. Again, this is choice. Learning is a choice. What craft, what skill you want to cultivate and develop is a choice. Whatever discipline, the difference between craft and discipline is this. Craft is basically learning a new skill. Discipline is training yourself, training yourself well following a protocol, learning all that has to be learned well, okay? The two goes together, but they are not the same. So, 
if you're treat, if you let's say let's say we talk about uh, being a doctor, there are all the medical skills that you need to cultivate. But you can be a lazy student, and you pass exam can already. Your system allowed you to pass exam can already. So you train yourself, but there is no discipline there. You see what I'm saying? Then at the end of which, if you have a skill, but you're not a very good doctor because you didn't train properly, <laughs> and it's the same thing. We we can choose this number three can be anything. It's, normally, people may, may perceive that there are three parts. They're not. They're actually together. Whatever that you learn, there is the knowledge, knowledge part. There is the skill to apply. Skill is application. And there is the, you have to keep at it. Keep going at it to strengthen, to polish up your skill and make yourself very good at it. And the Dhamma is the same. You choose you choose to learn the Dhamma, you want to know what the Buddha had taught, then great learning. Understand. Go through the discourses and apply them. The craft is the application part. Don't learn already, then put in your saving deposit bank and then leave it there. You must use it, apply it. And you must keep going at it. So I, I mentioned here knowledge, skill, training, and I talk about IQ and EQ. And IQ actually means the part of which, which is knowledge. It's knowledge-based. EQ is the, the soft qualities, the, 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 the aspects of which where you make the right judgment, and because you make the right judgments, you know how to ensure that things are balanced nicely. Can I can I just request that your the mics be switched off? All mics be switched off. Thank you. Okay. So you have the qualities. These are technical qualities as well as mental qualities. You have these two for sure. There are conditions for growth and harmony, right? So this is very straightforward. A blessed lay life. I'm very specific here. I say a lay life. Because a Sangha member do not have spouse and children and they are no longer living with their parents. So this is specifically for a lay person. Okay, To be well caring of mother and of father, looking after spouse and children, engaging in a harmless occupation. So basically what the Buddha summarized here is a lay life, a successful lay life is one where you have the opportunity to take care of others. For most of us, when we talk about, oh, we have a blessed life, we talk about how people make our life more comfortable. We have got loving and caring spouse, we have obedient and children who earn well and can look after us and are filial. You know, we, we talk like that. But here, you see how the Buddha flipped it around? Is you having the opportunity to show your gratitude, to extend your generosity, love and consideration. In other words, having these people in your life allow you the chance to cultivate your kusala. Because the people whom you will want to look after instinctive, even the most miserly person, 
he will want to go look after his spouse and children and parents and even siblings, depending on how generous it is, going to the siblings and the extended family. You see what I'm saying? So here is, if you have an opportunity to have people whom are closest to you, it means you have a chance to cultivate your kusala. Cultivating your kusala allows you to have a joyous, light mind. You tell me, every time you go and bring your, your parents out and then they say, oh, my son is very I'm How does that make you feel? So joyous. You feel so joyous when the people whom you love react, respond to you very positively. So this is a joyous thing. Why is engaging in a harmless occupation a blessing? Lay people must earn a living. If we earn a living in, a, in such a way that people, beings are harmed or hurt, however they were harmed, however they were hurt, already it will, you go back two slides, affect your conditions of life. The moment your earning is unwholesome, it affects your conscience, it will affect your happiness in this life. It will affect your cultivation in this life. So if for whatever reason, you actually have a job which earns you, earns you a good living without harming, you are very blessed. You're very lucky. Lucky. But again, this is a choice. See what I'm saying? It is a choice. You can choose to be in this job or you can choose another job. So all, all that is in, I repeat again, all that is a blessing is a choice, a wise choice. Then some people will say, yeah, but my parents have passed on there eh, and I'm not married. Eh, I have no children. Doesn't matter. Are there elders that you look after? Your aunties, your uncles, your grandparents, your foster parents, whatever. Elders, older people who need help and you go and look after them. It counts for this. Are there Younger people who need help, need care. You're, you're not married, you have no children, but you are looking after people who can't look after themselves, your nephews, your nieces, the neighbor's children who doesn't have a good meal. You go look after them. It counts for this. You understand? Anytime you have an opportunity to look after people, you are fulfilling, you are, you are blessed. So the point that the Buddha is making here is when you look after people, it's not about people being blessed, it's about you being blessed. You have the opportunity, okay? Selfless giving, living the just life, supporting relatives, blameless action. I put two stanzas here because they are together. To cease and abstain from evil, complete restrain from intoxicants, to be diligent in virtuous practices, supreme blessings. The Dhamma is beginning to come out now, but this is not just a Buddhist. 
any individual, regardless of their religious faith, if they are very kusala, pure kusala, wholesome. Kusala means skillful and wholesome. They are moderating their anger, their desires, moderating. Okay, we are lay people, we sure got some degree of agitation and all. You're moderating. You're learning to tame the mind, control the mind, right? When you are able to do all these things, your mind in regular life, in daily life, is peaceful, is happy. When you are peaceful, happy, aren't you blessed? Don't you feel blessed? Then you say, no, nay, I don't feel peaceful. I don't feel happy. You're not wholesome enough. Anyone who has been angry, agitated, easily so, this is actually not wholesome enough. And that's why you are experiencing the frustration of life. Learn to give first before taking. Learn to give before taking. Learn to offer good words sincerely. Sometimes of this generosity is very simple. No need money. One. You offer friendship. You offer a kind word. You offer consideration. All these are free. And you do it sincerely, you are already the beneficiary. Straight away, you feel that joy. You straight away feel joy. This is very, very hua suan. It's very hua suan. <laughs> Okay, if you can hold on to the wholesomeness, in this life, there is a lighter mind, a peaceful and a more joyous mind. But more importantly, or just as importantly, you are setting the conditions for future happiness and future spiritual growth. This is what the Buddha said, happiness in this and the next life. You are able to do this. If you are able to do Selfless giving, being just, being wholesome, blameless action, etc., etc. You are able to fulfill five and six fully. You are then setting the conditions for happiness in this life and the next. It's very crucial. It's very blessed. Okay? Ah, I want to also specifically mention this word on intoxicants. Very often, when we think of the word intoxicants, we think of the liquor and the drugs that causes the mind to be fuzzy. Actually, you can be intoxicated with anything. Anything that holds an obsession for you is an intoxicant. So, for instance, if you are very much into Let's, let's take a devices. Huh? Let's take devices. You're very much into uh, a gambling or you are uh, very caught up with drink. Okay, drinking is intoxicant. Say sex. You're intoxicated with prostitution or sex or one of those things, right? These are all intoxicants. Anything that causes you to feel a loss of control, you cannot stop yourself from engaging, even when you say you should stop, but you can't stop yourself from engaging, that is a form of intoxicant, okay? And if you are 
Here, here is very specific, complete restraint. If you find that you have zero restraint, this is when you find your mind actually gets a bit disturbed. A bit is an understatement. It's chances are very disturbed. Okay, and it, it, then it would mean that you are not experiencing peace, peaceful mind. So intoxicants of any nature is, is very capable of hijacking, hijacking your rational thinking and your conscious, your, your, your free choice. And then you end up being dragged by the nose. Okay? As you proceed to the end segments of the, of the stanzas, uh, the, the later part of the stanzas, up until here, up until six, one to six, it's a lay life, a complete lay life with no, not much, not much of spirituality. In other words, you can be of any religious faith. You, you might not even have a religion. You're a good person, but you have no religion. You, if I ask you, what's your religion? Your reply is, I'm a free thinker. I don't know what that means, but I'm a free thinker. Okay, one to six is, is what you can enjoy. Seven onwards is for a practitioner. A practitioner, a Buddhist, it's leaning towards spirituality. So if you were counting your blessings from one to six, you should say, mm, I have most of them. Because if you say, I have most of them, then I said, you are very blessed. You should be a happy person. You should feel you are very blessed and you should feel happy. But you say, no, Le. then even in one to six, you didn't catch the real meaning, the essence of those teachings. That's why you don't feel blessed. Seven onwards is really the practitioner. One who aspires to walk the path, you must start counting from here onwards. Do you have these qualities? To be reverent means respectful, okay? And humble. These two, I'll take them point by point. Reverent, and humble. Those are two qualities. These two qualities enable us to be very open-minded in our learning. If you do not have humility, you will think you know the answers or you know better. It closes your mind. If you lack humility, it will close your mind to learning. So the, the fact that our, our ears are open and we are respectful and we are very open-minded, that in itself, it's a blessing. Because it means you can really vacuum the Dhamma. Can you imagine? What people say you can vacuum, you can, you can suck them all in. If you, are, if you don't have that humility, your learning is sliced off by a significant percentage. And the more arrogant you are, the more you are unable to learn. Okay? 
This one is very important. And this is a start point. Huh? To be content and grateful, they are together. Content and grateful, it's two sides of the same coin. You may not realize this. Why do I say that? Because one who is grateful has to be content. You are grateful, you can be grateful only if you are satisfied. If you are not satisfied, how to be grateful? If you say, I want to complain, it means you're not satisfied, right? Therefore, you're not grateful. People do you a favor, yeah? I want to complain. I still don't like it. Something like that. Lah. But if you have contentment, if you, have, if you are satisfied, you're content, then everything done for you, you're very happy already. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, I'm so happy with this. Thank you so much. Like that. Lah. So content and gratitude, they are together. Okay? Many of us, and I, I do believe that many of us sitting down here today, we are very grateful for the Dhamma. Many of us. And the reason why we're very grateful for the Dhamma is that we feel, we feel that we, are, we have been so blessed to have heard, to have understood enough for us to be able to resolve the mental conditions of the mind. We are so blessed. So you're content. You may still have aspirations. You may still want to learn more. But you don't begrudge the Buddha. You don't say, Buddha, you're teaching incompletely. I don't understand, Buddha. Not good enough. You don't do that. Whatever you have, you're very happy already. Ah, that's why you're grateful. Okay? And when you have these four conditions, when you have that humility and you have that gratitude, and the Dhamma you hear, that's Dhamma at the right time. That is why this part of the Dhamma, to hear the Dhamma at the right time, that is why it's here at number seven. Because when you have those qualities in your mind, the humility, the joy, the contentment, the gratitude. Your ears are super open. This is the right time to hear the ma. And for sure, you will vacuum all the dhamma you are hearing as much as you can. Take down notes, record the thing. Joyous, joyous, remember better. Because when you are joyous, you will remember better. If you don't feel joy, you, you can't remember. You're too agitated to remember. Okay? So, seven, for those of you who actually have the humility and the contentment and the scissors, for those of you who have that, give a thanks because there are, those are your blessings. Give thanks. It made you able to learn the Dhamma in this life. How grateful can you be? Okay, then comes the second one. How does it work like that? Huh? To be patient, to be obedient, to see recluses, i.e. the practitioners, to discuss the Dhamma at the right time. That is a supreme blessing. So not enough to just listen. There has to be engagement. Okay? But when you engage, when you engage, of course, engage means you cannot engage yourself, right? You must engage with people. Hmm? 
So when you are engaging with people, people also have views, right? So therefore, you must be patient, lor. Because your views and their views, if they don't click properly, they don't connect properly, you may be mm, frustrated, you may be agitated. Or your teacher tell you, you know, you should be doing this, 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 and that, that, that. Then you, mm, I'm not so sure about that. Oh, not obedient, huh? not patient. When you lack the patience and you lack the capacity to listen and follow, Follow. Obedience is to follow. Apply as taught. If you have these qualities, you will apply. If you don't have these qualities, I let you see the Sangha also no use. You're not learning. You see what I'm saying? So it is not, I see Sangha, I'm blessed. You must see the Sangha, the practitioner at the right time. You are at a point where you're patient, your mind is open, you're ready to follow. Sangha at this point is the right time because then that's when you will listen and you will follow. And then you will ask questions and you will clarify. Discussing the mark at the right time is clarification. Discussing with your teacher. That is why they are all piled together in this stanza. Okay? So don't look at don't look at Mangala Sutta as 38, 37 blessing. It is not. It is in stanzas. They come together. So the conducive conditions for spiritual learning, practice, and cultivation. This is what it means. You have these mental states. You are then able to learn, to apply, to reflect, to clarify, to see. This, this is what it means. Collectively, seven and eight are your biggest blessings for practice. So, for those of you who say, I want to enter the stream in this life. I need to get there. I have to understand the Dhamma. You make sure you cultivate seven and eight properly. Cultivate them properly until they are mental states in your mind because sorry mental states spontaneously arising in your mind because these are the qualities buddha had laid down as necessary for progress you have these conditions you are so blessed because that's when you can hear and you know how to apply and you will apply obedient. You will apply. Then you see all this sangha sweet. Because then they are not wasting their time with you. Okay? Last three. And the last three comes together. So it will be a little bit of a squash at the corner. The last three come together. Because in the last three, you look, you are living your life by the Dhamma with understanding in your daily life, with understanding you see the Dhamma as part of your regular life. To live, to live austerely, austerely and purely. 
to see the noble truths, to realize Nibbana. This is the supreme blessing. A mind unshaken when touched by the worldly states, sorrowless, stainless, and secure. This is the blessing supreme. Those who have fulfilled all these are everywhere invincible. They find well-being everywhere. This is the blessing supreme. Okay, now this is taken stanza by stanza. Number nine talks about the individual who or carries the path, the eightfold path. That's why they live with minimal fuss, minimal fuss, and consistent with kusala, the kusala part. Purely means there is no craving, minimal craving, depending on what level of practice, minimal craving, minimal chasing, minimal desires, minimal anger agitations, daily life, minimal akusala, perfection, the arahan, absolute purity. But Buddha wasn't just describing an arahan, he was describing a life, a, a life, because this is a life, 9, 10, 11 can still apply for everyone. Can still apply for everyone. Okay? And in 9, what it means is you choose to live by the eightfold path as much as you can remember, as much as you can. When you do that, you will see the noble truths. The words are very specific to see the noble truths. What does it mean? You understand what is dukkha. You understand the origin of dukkha. You learn to let go of the tangha, the craving. Every time you let go of craving, there will be the taste of nibbana, cessation. Okay? This is not the cessation of the arahan, which is cessation of, of dukkha at all time. The mental state is that level. But even for us, for the regular person like us, every time you let go of an anger, every time you forgive, every time you embrace someone with mita, every time you show compassion, you just, just hear the words. Every time you engage in something kusala, that time you experience a cessation of dukkha. That cessation is nibbana. That is that taste. And if you have never realized it, you, you have tasted, but you never realized that it's a taste, then you never realize, no? That's why the word he said is not taste. The word he used is realize. Because when you taste and you know what it means, that's a realization. If you taste, but you don't know what it means, that is a wasted opportunity. It's wasted. 浪费了. 
Okay, so every time there is cessation of dukkha, when you are angry, it's dukkha, right? When you when you blame someone for something, when you say in your mind, you say, "Why did you do it? Because you do it, you cost me so much angst. I lost money. You broke my thing. I'm so agitated." So your mind churns, churns the anger. Talk the more you talk, the angrier you are. But at some point, you realize. The person didn't mean it, right? I mean, what is another item? I sudala, sudala. I forgive, I forgive. I, I let it go. I don't, I don't quarrel with you over that broken piece of item. At that very moment, your anger drops. The forgiveness shines. You go look at your mind. At that point, it's the cessation of the dukkha of an anger. It's a cessation of dukkha of an anger. So the cessation, you just tasted it, but it may be a split and it may be conditional, but it is still a taste of cessation. To realize what is happening means you, you saw the Dhamma and that split minute. Don't you feel blessed? At that point, don't you feel that my, my worthy small self, the Xiao Wo, the worthy smallness, has a chance to experience the Dhamma. I am so grateful. I feel so blessed. Yeah, it's like that. Many, many moments of this will continue to hold you in the path, the stream. I mean, the, the, the eightfold path, the practice. Okay? Now, number nine. If number nine, living in the path and consolidating in your insight of understanding of the ma, if you keep going along that line, what will happen is the mind then becomes very used to impermanence, the nature of pain and pleasure, the balance is always there, it comes and it goes, you become less affected. So that when you are less affected, when you are less affected, your mind is then unshaken by worldly states. He says, a mind touched by the world. He said, in other words, the gains and the loss, the win, what the praise and the blame, the uh, fame and the ill fame, the pleasures and pain, and so on. All the states, every single experiences, positive and negative your mind is unshaken. Even when you encounter negative, the mind doesn't lament, doesn't regret, doesn't complain. The mind just accepts. When that mind is like that, it is sorrowless, stainless. Sorrowless means there is, the, there is no agitation painful sensation. Stainless means it doesn't become akusala. It doesn't get affected and then it becomes akusala. It doesn't happen. And instead, it is steady. It feels in charge. It feels secure. It feels in charge. It feels that he's steady. I'm not worried. I'm not affected. If you're not affected, you're not worried. You're not worried, you don't have fear, you don't have agitation and so on and so forth. You are steady. You are, you are like a little boat 
in a sea, in a raging ocean, but your little boat, you know, will not sink one. It will stay afloat, okay? This kind of a mind, this kind of a practice, this level of practice, are invisible, invincible everywhere. They are invincible, meaning nothing can knock them down. Nothing can cause them to feel fear and to, to feel defeated. That's why the Buddha, the Buddha, the Aryas, they're all called uh, winners, genos. They, they win battles. The battles are the battles with Mara, the Loba Dosa Moha. They are invincible means they cannot be defeated by the Akusala. They will hacha and they will beat up all the Akusalas. The Akusalas will all lose to them. That's <laughs> what it means. Now, you see, uh, take your mind to a point when you get agitated. Take the mind to a point when you get agitated. Huh? When you get agitated, and you don't want to be agitated. You say, I don't want to school, but I can't help it. What just happened? You lost. You can't help it. You lost that battle. Invincible means you would never lose that battle. You will not lose. You will maintain that even-tempered nature with the clarity of the mind anchored in the Dhamma, in anchored in wisdom, and you will not lose. You will not succumb and battle with the darker side of you. It won't happen. And because of that, they find well-being everywhere, regardless of where they are, regardless of the conditions they are happy. This is actually what it means. Regardless of conditions, they will still feel peace and they will still feel joy. That's what it means. So he, is, he was saying, the Buddha was saying, the ultimate of blessing is one who fully understood the Dhamma and carries within them the skills of maintaining an equilibrium mind. And because of that, they are never affected by the external environment and they will find peace and bliss everywhere. They're not afraid. They don't have that problem at all. They are always greening and happy with the world, in other words. They don't have a problem. So the day was, we say, hey, all of us are asking about blessing. And here he is. You want to talk about blessings? I tell you what's blessings. Da -da 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 Number 11. You have all these things, you are invincible everywhere. Game over, go home. Ah, that's how it works, okay? Okay. What's a personal, my personal thought? My personal thought is this. What makes for a blessed life? You ask yourself this. What makes it for us, right? What makes, what is it that will cause us to say, my life has, is blessed. I feel blessed. I feel happy. So I said, for most of us, whether or not you're a practitioner, if you think about it, it's not more money. It, 
money is good. The lay people, uh, we like money. Nice house is good. But it's not that. If you have good houses and you have money and you have all kinds of things to eat, but around you, people are upset and angry and they're always sniping at each other. You think you feel blessed? You don't, right? So a blessed life, actually, if you think very carefully, is a life where we feel happy and we feel fulfilled. Okay? If you, have a, if you feel that my life, eh, I'm quite a happy person. And because you feel happy, you say that mm, this life is good, quite good. It feels fulfilled. Then my next question is, how? How does a life become happy and fulfilled? As a lay person, whatever it is, we still need to eat and survive. We have to earn enough for ourselves, just enough for ourselves, for our family, for our loved ones, for others that we care about, okay? In other words, for a lay person, blessings is when we can make the best use of conditions. What conditions that we have, we know how to make use of these conditions to improve our material welfare, right? That's for a lay person. That is why if you look at the suttas, the earlier part of the suttas, he talks about the learning and the skill and able to earn a living, harmless occupation, and then take care of the people around you. This is actually essentially what he meant. Making best use of the conditions to improve your material lay life. But it's not all. It is incomplete. It's incomplete because this life will end then it will start again. What is lovely is when you can have a balance between the mundane responsibilities and your spiritual cultivation. Because even if you have this, you may still not be fully happy. You have no spirituality. You cannot, you cannot be fully happy. By spirituality, again, I am not talking about being a Buddhist. Even if you choose not to be a Buddhist, you still should have spirituality, some degree of it. Otherwise, when the big things come, you're going to be lost. So what are the big things? When people fall sick, when you see and you see for yourself people growing older and dying, these are the big events of life. When you have massive disappointment, then you will ask yourself, what is the meaning of life? Because this one gets affected already. When bad things happen, this one gets affected. So you have to have that spirituality that allows us to feel that I have balance. I, I got a fallback position, in other words. And for me, I have to stress, I always stress, you do need that balance between mundane responsibilities and spiritual cultivation, i.e. making the mind grow in wisdom, wholesomeness. Because only when your mind starts to grow in wisdom and wholesomeness will you find peace and happiness. This is conditional. Okay? Many people do have this perception that, oh, I go and meditate, I'll be fine. Meditation alone doesn't solve problem. 
meditation, first and foremost, will actually, if you cannot do it, you don't know how to do it well, it can actually increase your frustration. But if you have wisdom and wholesomeness, the actual sitting down, the meditation becomes easier, number one. And number two, straight away when the mind goes quiet, you know how to apply. That is why you need that meditation. But only anchor, only if you anchor it on wisdom and understanding wisdom huh? and wholesomeness. It must be anchored there. And then it's sweet. It's very nice. Okay? For me personally, that I do not waste this life. That if I do, if I waste this life, it means I never took that step closer to the mark. If I do not waste this life, it means I manage to walk towards Dharma insight and awakening. This is what it means. A fulfilling life is one where you have that balance, your mundane and responsibilities, you earn enough. How much is enough depends on your wisdom and your craving. And if you have the wisdom and your craving is managed, anything is good enough. Straight away, you will want to spare time and effort on mental cultivation. Mental cultivation means what? Cultivating wholesomeness, kindness, dana, giving, generosity. If you forget everything, minimally don't forget generosity. This one is very important. Generosity is not just about giving things. It's also giving time, giving effort, giving, giving uh, meta, giving attention, bantir. Uh, Buddha Rakita, very cute. When I was talking to him about generosity, he says, attention, give attention, very important. That's very true. When you're talking to people, very often we're caught up in a conversation here and we're not giving them attention. We're giving us attention. We bored. We get bored and we think. It's not good. You must always accord someone that kindness and the generosity, giving them attention because your attention makes them feel good about themselves. You're helping someone feel joy, okay? Bottom line, we live this world, I said this one, better for ourselves and for others. What it means is this. If you cultivate properly, you will live this life already better for yourselves. And if you are cultivating properly, for sure, you would live this place better for others, okay? If you didn't cultivate, or if your cultivation helps only one person, then your cultivation is a little bit wasted. If you live in a lay life, if you live a lay life, and you are cultivating rightly, for sure, it will have impact on others. Because you're more patient, you're more generous, you're kinder, you are more respectful, all these wonderful qualities that make you a nice person to live with. Sure, they'll love, they'll, they will want to live with you. Sure, they love you. Okay? So, this is Mangala Sutta. And 
many of us sat here, listen to this. I hope you felt joy listening. So I'm now going to invite you to look at this slide. I call it ingratitude. And I, I invite you to study the words very carefully. I will read it to you. If you had experienced joy listening to the Dhamma, do consider honoring our teacher by putting into practice his first teaching to the lay community, which is to be chaga, generous. Donate to a worthy charity or spiritual organization of your choice at your convenience. We must never take for granted the blessings that we have enjoyed in this life. As our forerunners had, forerunners means the beings, us who have come before, that come, had done it right by us, we must continue the good work for those who come after. Many of us believe that this is not our final life, that we may have another life, more lives. So we continue to do right by them. May the Dhamma last long. May we continue to enjoy supportive conditions for learning and practice. And may we never deviate from the true teaching as long as life lasts. Thank you. Two questions. Yeah. Please elaborate a bit more on the right balance between mundane responsibilities and spiritual cultivations. Um, before I, I tell you what now, before I continue, I think I should continue to keep this here. But when I do that, I cannot read the question. The balance between mundane responsibilities and spiritual cultivation. Okay, mundane responsibilities would be what you have to do to earn a living. Okay, uh, and then the requirements from the obligations from looking after your parents and your children and, and your spouse and so on and so forth. There will be requirements there, fulfillments there. Even as you fulfill those, you can still use the opportunity to reflect on the qualities necessary for wholesomeness. So, it, it, in a way, it is not separate. Life is not separate. I'll give you an example. You go to work, you have duties that you're supposed to fulfill. Be honest. Tell the truth. Speak kindly, be helpful, be giving and sharing. When you are doing all these in a wholesome way, you are cultivating your mind. You're cultivating wholesomeness. Get it? Your mom or your father comes to you and nah, 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 at you, you know, then you feel very agitated. Then you tell yourself, be chaga. They are in pain. 
I will just sit there and give them full attention, give them full meta. What are you doing? Separating? No, you're doing the same. That balance is there. But you're now doing it knowingly. You are telling yourself, I'm cultivating meta and karuna. Meta is loving kindness or friendliness. Karuna is compassion. I am cultivating these mental energies while looking after parent. Your child comes to you in tears because of this, that or other. You don't sit there and tell your child, you must learn to do it. You must learn to do it. You don't do it like that. You sit down and say, come, let me help you walk through the choices or let me see how we can help. You talk with patience, with kindness, with, with uh, compassion. So all these opportunities that could have caused you to be agitated, instead, you bring forth wholesome mental energy. At that point, you are cultivating. At that point, you are doing the spiritual practice. People think that spiritual practice is hiding in a room, hiding in a forest, meditating the whole day. That's not spiritual practice. That is not, that is not the only kind of spiritual practice. Spiritual practice really is guarding the mind, restraining the, the akusala in daily life. Unless you tell me you don't lead a, lady, a daily life, like you have no life. I live alone. Okay, then all the more is you can meditate. But if you live with people, for sure, you have much opportunity for cultivation. And if you recall gratitude and then you serve. Do you know one of the arahans is known to be foremost of those who show gratitude? Yeah, I mean, he really... And it's Sariputta, one of the greatest teachers next to the Buddha. Sariputta was known to be foremost of those who show gratitude. There was one old man who wanted to enter the Sangha and he had to have a sponsor. Someone must be prepared to take responsibility for his training. And no one wanted to train him. He's old. He's not very helpful. You know, he's, he's going to be sickly and if you take him under your wing, you have to look after him. And so no one wanted that responsibility. Then the Buddha said, can anyone remember an act of kindness or generosity by this person? From the act of kindness, repay him. And it was Sariputta who said, yes, he gave me one lump of rice. One lump of rice earned the old man entry into the Sangha because Sariputta remembered. How beautiful is that? So what does it mean? In our daily life, where we are here today, we do owe a lot of people a lot of debt. So you show your gratitude by being the most wholesome that you can be so that they can be inspired by what you are experiencing to join you in this practice. Sometimes people ask me how to bring my loved ones onto the path and how to get them interested in Buddhism. If you ask me that question, the odds are you are not walking ambassador of your teaching. That's why you, you're saying, how, how do I make them? They're not seeing it. They are not seeing that transformation. 
they're not seeing the joy and the, and that shine in you. If they see it, they will follow. If they don't see it, they don't see it. So the first thing you have to do is do it. You get it right, they will follow. So that's how you connect practice and life. The practice is all about cultivating wholesomeness, which you then use in life to inspire, to motivate, to bring joy, to, bring, to improve welfare, to make yourself a refuge for others, just as you are a refuge for yourself. Your wholesomeness is your own refuge. If we are progressing quite well, what sutta do you recommend that we read? Okay, let me put it this way. Um, if you own Nikayas, okay, or if you don't, never mind, you go online, go to Sutta Central, many of the suttas are there. If you own Nikayas, so you can have access to Sutta Central, you can start by looking at the Samyutta Nikaya Kindred, kindred Collection Samyutta uh, Connected Collection or Anguttara. Um, Anguttara is numbered, you know, book of one, book of two, book of three. Why these two? Because every suttas are shorter, every one is shorter and easier to follow, it's easy to remember. So you can, you can go and explore those many, many suttas there. You can also go into uh, Dhammapadda. Don't, don't see the Dhammapadda no up. Meaning to say, don't look down on the Dhammapadda. Dhammapadda is a collection of the core teachings of Buddha compiled by the Arya Sangha, the great teachers time long time ago so the basically they are the suttas that they were teaching their disciples their own students it's literally a summary of the teaching the entire dhamma is there the entire teaching so you can learn and you can remember the stories and you can tell the stories and can you can share the Mapada is easy to remember if you are a meditator and you are really one line, doing very well in your, your training and your learning and your understanding, then you must read Majjhima Nikaya, middle length, middle length Discourses. Why? Because that's where uh, a lot of the explanations on the nature of the mind is found there, Majjhima Nikaya. Many of the lay people teachings are so for those of you, I think Akanya is also the Nikaya. So these are some very lovely suttas that you can can check out. The mind suttas, the one on meditation, Majipma, if you're very new and you're just going to look up and have a feel, a little feel of the Dhamma go into Samyutta or Anguttara, okay? Last question. Oh, new questions. Upon disassociating with the foolish, 
and they demand an explanation for the disassociation. How does one handle this? Ah, you know, disassociating doesn't mean you go to the person and say, I'm breaking up relationship with you. No need to be so dramatic. You just keep distance. You slowly distance yourself. That is one way. The other way is if you are a very good practitioner and you know how to do it correctly, if you believe that you can help someone improve, return to the path, understand the dhamma, and so on and so forth, if you think you can do that, you don't have to disassociate, but you have to go and change the nature of the association. You have to be the one that teach, that guide, that, that advise, right? You shouldn't be the one that sits down there and internalize all, all the uh, unwholesome. Find that engaging people who are very akusala is very painful. Then you just slowly ease away. There is no need to tell them, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> we are not children anymore. We don't have to do that. But if let's say someone wants to go out with you all, all the time and you feel you really don't want to do it, then just tell the person. You can tell the person, I have become more it, he, he won't want to go with you. He will want to disassociate with you. <laughs> In other words, you bring him towards your dhamma, you bring him towards wholesomeness, and if he doesn't like it, he will leave. You don't have to tell him, I don't want to. Tell him, I don't want to engage in those activities. I want to engage in these activities, the wholesome ones. You come, you come and join me. And he's going to say, I want to go watch a show. And then you go and watch a show on the Buddha's life. I guarantee he doesn't want to watch a show with you anymore. <laughs> uh, something along the line, skillful means, in other words. But don't, don't as much as you can, don't turn the fella away from the demand. Can always provide that opportunity to join you in the demand. Okay? Uh, how to strike a balance especially if you are leader of a center to associate with the wise and yet not neglect and yet not to neglect and let those not so wise or not wise at all in the same place feel out of place and feel inferior. You will always, if you, if you, if you are the leader, right? All you can do is constantly stress on the kusala, the wholesomeness. It's associating is, is a rather unusual. Different people have different ideas about what associating means. It, it, it ranges from just touch base, chit chat, to much deeper engagement. Yeah, it's, it's actually a spectrum. And being mindful of that spectrum is what you should be. Now we're going into the nitty-gritty, the nuances of the teaching. Huh? For me, 
there will be, and I teach, I have met many kinds of people ranging from uh, very well-practiced individuals to people who are very mundane, very conventional, very lay person. And I agree with you, we, as if you are teaching and if you are guiding, you shouldn't be chop, 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 chop. Because your job, you want to guide, you want to share, then you have to provide the occasion, the, con the conditions. You have to provide the condition. So you cannot just cha 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 Okay? Then what do you do? You maintain that line, but you set clear parameters. When we are together, we should honor the Buddha by and the Dhamma by practicing as he had laid down. So we should aim to be kusala. If you want to continue, you must remember to be wholesome, wholesome speech. So you lay down, wholesome speech means what? Wholesome action means what? And it's the individual's choice whether he wants to comply with your wholesome conditions. If he complies, so be it. Continue, please. If he refuses to comply and continues to be a kusala, then you will have to speak to this person and remind this person, in this community, the practice is wholesomeness. Can you continue to be this, this, and this? Because if you are not this, this, and this, it will become very hard to continue the engagements. And then, and then you leave this person to decide. Now, when, when we... You, you, you ask yourself, yourself, right? You go to a place where you feel welcome, you feel connected, that everybody is having a good time with you and so on and so forth. But the moment you find that you are different, you, the person in a community, you find that we're not talking the same language, we're no longer having the same ideas, and, and I'm very agitated every time I go. You know, one day I'm not going anymore. So that can happen. In other words, you set the conditions and people who cannot remain within these conditions may then eventually choose to move away. You don't have to push them out. You just have to set the condition and firmly. You don't set condition, then you tweak around and make it unclear. And then some days you allow Akusala speech and some days you don't allow Akusala speech. Some days you allow some papalapa, some days you don't allow. Cannot lah. You must be very consistent. Dhamma is actually very clear. If you are very clear on what's right and wrong, and why is it right or wrong, if an action, a speech, does not cause pain, does not cause discomfort, helps people to be inspired and anchor on wholesomeness, that's good speech and that's good thought. That's good action. You understand? So you're very consistent. Your understanding is very clear. You just hold the line. And you yourself must apply it for yourself. You don't come out with akusala words and then everybody's just going to stare at you and go, how come? Uh, you got double standard. Uh, then, then, then there is a problem. Okay? So, um, set the parameters, make it very kusala, people will come and join. And comply. Okay? Question, what blessings could one possibly get by allowing the mind to wander elsewhere while listening to the Mangala Sutta. 
if one neither understands nor practices, what blessings will? You know, um, if you derive no joy from listening to the Dhamma and you don't remember what was said in the Dhamma, then there is no blessing as such. Because the blessings are all in the mind. You feel the joy, you can grow. You, can, you will learn, you feel the joy, you will learn better, you can learn better, you will grow. If you don't feel any joy, because you didn't hear anything, when you get up from this environment, there is nothing left in there. This is what the Buddha called the lap. The lap follower. <laughs> you get up, everything drop off the lap. <laughs> so there is no blessings. Blessings. Blessings are conditions for growth, conditions for joy, for mental peace and well-being. Those are conditions. You didn't hear, you didn't learn, then the conditions are not there. Okay. I think that's it, right? Did I miss out anyone? I think that's it. So we're good. Okay. Um, sharing merits. This is when we spend just a moment for the mind to feel the joy of what we had experienced earlier. And in that joy, with that joy in mind, we recite the words. Eta wata am ehi sam batang punya sam padang. Sabbe dewa anumodantu sab pasampa isitia. Eta wata am ehi sam batang punya sam padang. Sabbe buta anumodantu sab pasampa Whatever merits that we have thus acquired, may Dewas, beings and humans partake of it. May it contribute greatly to their happiness. Now, in our mind, in our mind, reflect on the joy, feel the joy first, feel the joy, feel the gratitude, feel the blessing. Then you invite departed relatives to come and partake in the merits we're going to share. Quietly say the words. Idam me nya tinangkotu sukita hontu nya tayo. Idam me nya tinangkotu sukita hontu nya tayo. Idam me nya tinangkotu sukita hontu nya tayo. Let this merit accrue to our departed relatives and may they be well and happy.
sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay. So, I'm good. <laughs>